I'm going to put a couple of pictures up on the screen for you. Um, pictures of some churches around the world. Uh, maybe you'll recognize a few of these. Let's see if you recognize some of them. Does anybody recognize what church that is? Yeah, I hear a few mutterings. I can't hear what you're saying. But if you see the big construction uh, thing in the middle of it, that would probably lead you to think that it's the cathedral at Notre Dame that was burned down, that was gutted by fire. You're right if you said that. Um, anybody know where this church is? Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is supposedly uh, where Jesus' tomb was, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, a church that was started there. That's actually located in Jerusalem, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame's in Paris, of course. Anybody recognize this one? Some of you, if uh, you came from a Catholic background, you might recognize that one. That's St. Peter's Basilica. That's Vatican City. And uh, I would say in Italy, but actually Vatican City is a nation unto itself. It's in Vatican City, St. Peter's Basilica, famous church there. Uh, Maybe you recognize this one, Westminster Abbey. All of you who uh, have one of those that like to follow royal history, it's where all the royals are married and go through their weddings at Westminster Abbey in London, England. I didn't recognize this one. I just put it in there because it was a really cool picture. This was, uh, I really like this one. Uh, but the Duomo di Milano, it's in Milan, Italy. It's actually, actually the fifth largest church, Christian church structure in the world. Duomo di Milano, it's in Milan. Uh, maybe you recognize this one. You might have seen this one if you traveled through D.C., Washington National Cathedral. And this is uh, the cathedral in D.C. Some of those you may have recognized. Um, I doubt you recognize these next two, but um, you recognize that church? Well, that's because that's in a little small village called Matundo, which is located outside of another small town, Calabo, in the nation of Zambia. I've been to that church. I haven't been to this one. There's no name for this church because the name can't be shared. Because this is part of the underground church in China where if their names were shared, they would likely be arrested by the Chinese government. You know, looking at pictures of churches like this, it kind of brings to mind the question, what makes a church a church anyway. What what makes the church a church? I mean, actually, the the pictures that I put up there at first, some of those places, the uh, buildings themselves are enormous. But the number of congregants, those who actually attend, and some of those churches may be just a couple of hundred. And then some churches, like the one in village of Matundo, where we actually worked uh, about 15 years ago, family traveled, um, they didn't have a building. What you saw was their place of worship, that tree. That's where they gathered. Much of the underground church in China and other parts of the world where they would be 
persecuted and prosecuted for celebrating their faith, for worshiping their Lord. Um, they don't have buildings. They may have a home that they meet in. They may meet in, in some other secret place. But what makes the church the church? What, what establishes the church as the church? Well, you know, that's really the question that we're going to talk about today through the study that we've been doing in Colossians. And we're going to look today at Colossians chapter 1. And uh, in just a few minutes, I'm going, to, I'm going to read in here from, we're going to back up a little bit and read from Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, part of what we covered last week, and go all the way through the end of this chapter. But before we do, uh, this, is a, this is the time where each week, we, we allow our, our kids and their parents, grandparents, if you'd like to go. Maybe you're kind of a church parent and you would like to accompany our kids to the back. You work in the bus ministry and you want to be with the kids. They go back. But we're going to uh, kind of have that division right now where our kids and their parents have a message that's geared to them using topics or using illustrations that kind of relate at their level where here in quote unquote big church, us adults and teenagers are going to stay. And so our kids and their Leaders are going to make their way out to the back. Pastor J.D. is going to be preaching to the kids and their parents today. And like we've been doing in this, um, this change format that we do, uh, we're preaching from the same passage of Scripture. We're preaching with the same sermon outline. We are sharing the same doctrine, the same teaching in here as back in there. Uh, it's just an opportunity for a message to be focused a little bit more at our kids' level so that they understand the same topic with some illustrations that are on their level. So as they make their way out, why don't you turn with me today to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read from starting at verse 19 all the way through the end of the chapter. And what we're looking for today, what we're going to be aiming for, one of the things that we want to see from this passage of Scripture is what makes the church the church? We want to ask that question. So read with me starting at verse 19 in chapter 1 in the book of Colossians. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. He was completely, fully God. And by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I'm going to pause right there and just say this is kind of the, this is the, leads into where this discussion is going today. As Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, keep in mind, he has never been to this church. He has never met these people. Someone else has shared the gospel with them. Somebody else has carried the gospel message to them, but through that messenger, 
Paul has received word of what's happened in the church in Colossae, and Paul is now praying for them. He's invested in them. He is sending these letters, this letter to them. He is communicating with them, trying to encourage them in their faith. And he mentions to them, now that you've been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, Jesus came. He was fully God. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. Last week we talked, starting back in verse Uh, 13, all the way down through here in verse 23, we talked about the person of Christ. We talked about who he was, but we also talked about the mission of Christ, what he came to do in these last few verses. This is what Christ came to do, to redeem the world unto himself, to draw all humankind unto him. And because Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, the Holy Holy Spirit writing to them, but also writing to us, he says, now that you have come to faith in Christ, he Here's how you move forward as the church. In verse 25, or 24, it says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect In Jesus Christ, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now, we started into this series in Colossians a few weeks back, and we started with this this statement. What we believe about Jesus Christ matters. What we believe about Jesus Christ and the work of Christ and what he intended to do through his bride, the church, matters. People may mention the name of Jesus, even some religious traditions throw the name of Jesus out there, but they don't believe the same things about Jesus Christ that we believe. There's a reason why we say that Jehovah's Witnesses will not make it to heaven because they don't believe that Jesus is fully God. There's a reason why we make a distinction between what we believe in the Christian church and what the Mormon church believes. They believe that Jesus is the brother to Lucifer, the literal born son of Elohim, who came from another planet to inhabit this planet and have spirit babies that populate this entire world. They say we're the church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, but they don't believe the same thing about Jesus that we believe. What we believe about Jesus matters. And where we get that from matters. Finding that from the word of God is critically important. And so we launched into this series. Now, last week we talked about the transforming power of Christ because of who he is, because he is the eternal God who has always existed, because he is fully God. He is, he, he is the human embodiment of who God is, Jesus Christ. And because he went to the cross to pay for our sins, he did this work to redeem us and set us free. And if we trust in him, we are now 
his. We are changed. We are transformed. That verse in verse 13 says we have been conveyed. Yes, it is kind of like a conveyor belt. We have been conveyed. We have been transformed. We have been transferred. Literally, the word means we have been translated into the kingdom of God. Now that I have come to faith in Christ because I have trusted him as Savior and Lord, now in the church, this is how the church is supposed to move forward. What makes the church the church? Well, starting in verse 24, we get four things that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul outlines here that defines the church, that says this is what makes the church the church. First of all, verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship of God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. What makes the church the church? Well, first of all, it is servants. What makes the church the church? People serving for the sake of the body. One of the things that distinguishes and defines the church according to the spirit of God through Paul as he writes this is that the church is made up of people now who, being transformed by the power of Christ, no longer seek themselves, no longer seek their gain, no longer seek some benefit for themselves, but now are working for the goal of building up the body of Christ, building up others around them. And this idea is so antithetical to our culture today. In our culture today, most people are focused on what's best for me. What is best for me? And if I get what's best for me, then I've achieved the best for my life. When Jesus says, if you want to achieve the best for your life, if you want to achieve the best for you, here's what you need to do. You need to empty yourself of you. You need to take up my cross and you need to do what I do. You need to follow me day in and day out. What makes the church the church? People who are willing to abdicate themselves for others, for the good of the body and the good of those outside the body. Where else would it make sense? Where else would it make sense for a family, a dad and a mom with their two children to say, hey, We need to pick up our kids from this culture, this place where we have running water and an indoor bathroom, and we need to go to that part of the world where they don't even have running water and they don't have a restroom that they can use, but because they don't know Jesus, we're going to give of ourselves so that they do know Jesus. Where else does it make sense? Except through the church. The church is made up of people serving for the sake of the body. Back in World War II, um, during that battle, there's a crisis that arose in England. See, most of their power grid was coal-fired. Most of their electrical grid across the nation of England 
was powered by coal. And they needed to increase their production of coal because as the battle waged on, they were facing a, an energy crisis that was taking place. Winston Churchill called together the labor leaders to enlist their support. He was a great motivational speaker, Winston Churchill was, and as he met with these labor leaders, at the end of his presentation, he asked them to picture in their minds a parade. This is what he said. I want you to picture with me at the end of this war, I want you to picture with me a parade as we're going through Piccadilly Square. And there are going to be people who are marching through and there will be Air Force officers who are marching through in the Air Corps and will celebrate their work as they were in the battle. And then there will be people who are in the Royal Navy and they'll be following them through as we have this parade through Piccadilly Square. And there will be people from the Royal Navy who will be there and crowds will be cheering them on. And there will be people who are a part of the, the Royal Army. And they will come marching through the square and the crowds will cheer them on because they'll know the work that they've done. And then there will be this group that comes through and their clothes will be torn and they'll be covered in black dust and their faces may be scarred and their hands be scabbed up and they'll come walking through and people will say, who are they? And I will answer, they're the ones who kept their face in the pit, digging the coal so that the Navy and the Army and the Air Force could win this war. He said, every man has a role. You fill yours, I'll fill mine. Look, in the church, this is the point. What makes the church the church is that you've got a role, I've got a role, we have things that we're called to do. If you don't fill your role and I don't fill my role, if I'm not willing to lay aside me for the good, if you're not willing to lay aside you for the good of the body, the church never becomes what God designed it to be. What makes the church the church? Servants. People serving for the sake of the body. What makes the church the church? Saints. Verse 26 says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. What makes the church the church? Saints those who've been saved by the mystery of God. Now, let me explain two of these words that appear here in verse 26. In verse 26, first of all, there's this word mystery. Now, the word mystery in Greek, literally translated, it's transliterated from Greek into English. We get the word mystery from Greek. The word, Greek, or the word mystery in Greek is mysterion. And mysterion means something different than what we often think that it means. When you come across the word mystery, especially in the New Testament, when you come across the word mystery, it doesn't mean what we mean when we use this word mystery. For instance, if somebody is talking about Anne and me, our marriage relationship, and says, what on earth does she see in him? And somebody says, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. 
What they're saying is, you can't explain that. It makes zero sense. I don't get it. When we use the word mystery, that's often what we mean. We mean it's something that I don't know, something that I may never know. It's a mystery, an unsolved mystery. In Scripture, mystery means something different. Mystery means something that was a secret but has now been revealed. Something that wasn't known but is known now. Something that was hidden but now has been fully revealed. And so when it talks about the mystery of Christ, it's not saying, how does somebody come to salvation with Jesus Christ? How does somebody have their life secured forever in heaven? And when it uses the word mystery, it doesn't mean, I don't know. What it means is, we know absolutely for sure, for certain, this mystery, which was hidden, is now revealed. It's through Jesus Christ dying on the cross, paying the price for all humankind. It is through him that I have been redeemed. And the church is made up of those who have experienced the mystery, the revelation of Christ. That which I did not know before, but now I do. And the church is made up of those who've heard the mystery revealed and believed. Those who've been saved by the mystery of God. And the Bible has a name for them. Saints. Saints. I love it when the Bible says we're saints. I love it. Because so often we don't think we are. Why don't you remind yourself that you're a saint? Say, I'm a saint. It's okay. You can do it. I give you permission. I'm a saint. The Bible says you're a saint. Turn to your neighbor and say, who knew? I'm a saint. Those who've been saved by the mystery of God, they're saints. Does it mean that I'm perfect? (laughs) No. I am not perfect, but now I have been perfected. I have been translated. I have been transferred. I have been conveyed into this perfect kingdom of God by the perfect son, Jesus Christ, who has taken this broken down, sinful, torn up, marred, scarred human being, and he has made me from some spiritual scrap iron into a spiritual treasure in the eyes of God. I've been saved, and it's a mystery. How could that guy be saved? I don't know, but God did it. I have been transferred, transformed, conveyed into the kingdom of God as a saint. My friend, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells me that the old has been washed away. Behold, the new has come. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. None. When God looks down upon you, when Jesus looks upon you, he sees somebody who has been washed clean by the blood of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Stop beating yourself up. If God has the temerity to call you a saint, once you have believed in Christ, it is not a reach for you to start believing 
that you have been made a saint by the presence of Christ in you. What makes the church the church? Servants who've been saved by Jesus and become saints. So the church is made up of people who, by the power of God, have been transformed into the saints of God. What makes the church the church? Servants, saints, and a savior. Verse 27 says, I actually listed just verse 27, but it's the verse part of verse 28 too. It says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach. What makes the church the church? Our Savior. The message must be about Jesus Christ. The message must be Jesus Christ. The message in the church today must be Jesus Christ. In the church today, there have been some messages that have risen to the top of the evangelical church. There are churches today that talk about walking in love, showing the love of God, being a love-focused church. Churches that focus on kindness, doing kind things in their community, are focused on social reform. We want to focus on the message of redeeming the world, knocking down this thing that's here in our world, racism or whatever it may be, knocking down this barrier or that barrier, and that becomes the message of that church. This is our focus. We want to eradicate this. We want to eradicate that. We want to pronounce this love for all to walk in faith and love. But here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that even though those things are good, they're not necessarily the most important thing. Listen, if our message here in the church today is about kindness or love or social reform or politics or whatever it may be, if that's our message and our message has been taken over by those topics as opposed to Jesus Christ, we will never see social reform political change and kindness and love and those things communicated in our world. We will never see it because once we start to focus on the side effects of a relationship, a right relationship with Christ, once we focus on the side effects, we lose sight of the transformational power of an almighty God who came to earth in the form of this human being who died on a cross to save me from my sins. The message must be Jesus. It must be Jesus. And if we make the message anything other Other than Jesus, we will never see these other things changed. The hope for our world today is Jesus. It was, it still is, and always will be. If we're aiming at any of those things without seeking the transforming power of Jesus Christ first, then we've perverted the gospel. I'm reminded of a story, 1956, Billy Graham was conducting a crusade in Oklahoma City, and as was their routine, he would speak at a joint meeting of the cities 
officials, civic clubs, those organizations, Kiwanis, whatever it was in the city, and join them all together. And he was sharing together, and uh, as he was there with those civic leaders, he gave just a simple message. He was meeting with those leaders, and he was telling them about the crusade, but he would always give a message. And, And Dr. Graham gave a message that day, and it was a gospel presentation, just a straightforward, simple presentation of the gospel. We're all sinners. We need a Savior. We must commit and confess Christ as our Savior in order to be changed by the love of Christ. Just a simple, straightforward message of the gospel. He's preaching that message. At the end of that meeting, there were two men in particular, and he would tell of this later. He said there were two men in particular at the end of the meeting. The men that were there came forward, and they thanked him for his message, but these two guys stood out. One said, I have been going to church all my life, but that is the first time I've ever heard that. It's the greatest thing I've ever heard. How can somebody go to church for their entire life and never hear the gospel? Because sometimes we make the message about other things. Can we just acknowledge that social reform is not going to transform somebody's spiritual eternity? Politics are not going to transform somebody's spiritual eternity. Just being kind is not going to save somebody. Jesus Christ is going to save people. And as a result, he will build in me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The message must be about Jesus Christ. See, it's a matter of focus. That's really what it is. It's a matter of focus. In the church, we've got to keep the message focused. We've got to make sure that the message is focused on what the most important thing is. If you've watched the movie Apollo 13, If you watch the movie, you know that at a point in the movie, it was actually on day six in in real life, day six of that ill-fated mission of Apollo 13, the astronauts needed to make a critical course correction. They needed to get the, the capsule on track, and they had to make a course correction to get it on track. And and if they failed, it's possible that the the capsule, if if they failed to make this course correction, the the capsule could come in um, to shallow and skip off the earth's atmosphere and they would never enter it. If they came in too steep, it could hit the earth's atmosphere and the capsule would burn up. And so they had to make this course correction to get it just right. But they had already shut down many of their, many of their um, power equipment and all of their, their things that they would use for navigation because of the problem that they had electrically inside the capsule. And so they had to make this course correction and they had to do it by eye. And they had to have one fixed focal point in order to make this course correction. And as they were discussing how do we, how do we get a fixed focal point, how do, we, how do we have one focal point that we know that we're, we're keeping the steered in the right direction. And they realized that while they're in space, there's only one thing 
There was only one thing that was fixed that they could see through their tiny little capsule window, window that would keep them on course if they made this course correction, and that was the earth. It was the only thing that they could sight it by, and so they made this course correction, looking through a window, keeping the earth centered right in the middle of their window. For 39 seconds, they had to do a burn, but the only thing that could guide them was the one thing that was fixed and never changing in their view. Listen, in the, in the church today, it's all about focus. It is all about focus. If we focus on the wrong thing, the church becomes impotent, ineffective, loses its message. And that one thing must be Jesus, must be Jesus. What makes the church the church? Servants and saints, our Savior, and the striving that we do, the work that we do, what we do through the church must match the message. Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, every person, perfect in Christ Jesus to this end. I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. At Newbridge Baptist Church, if we're going to follow a biblical model from Colossians, I know there are other places we could pull from to define and talk about what the church is, but here in this one passage is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul to the church in Colossae. Here's what he says. Hey, Give up part of yourself. Focus on the good of the body. The church needs to be made up of servants. The church needs to be made up of saints. Not those who are good in and of of themselves, but those who've been transformed by Jesus Christ. Those who have come to faith in Christ. Those who have understood the mystery, that which was hidden but is now revealed, and they have called upon the name of Christ for their salvation. The church must be made up of saints. And the church must have as its message, as its focus, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And to ensure as much as it can that all the things that it does, all the ministries that it's involved with, all the things that it's striving for support the message. If it doesn't help to share the name of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world, if its ultimate goal is not to lead people to faith in Christ, why would we waste time, effort, and money in doing it? The message is Jesus, and the work must match the message. This is the call for this church. This is the call of the Lord for us. I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to bow with you. I'm just going to ask you to put your head down, close your eyes. Church is supposed to be made up of saints. 
if you have never made this decision to trust Christ as your Savior, this is the very first thing. This is the starting point. This is where it begins. Lord Jesus, I want to commit my heart and life to you. I want to accept this gift of salvation that you have offered to me. I want to do it today. The church is made up of servants. Those who are willing to lay aside their desires, their designs, for the sake of the body. The call of the Lord today is to become a servant of the body of Christ. The call for us is to make Jesus the most important message that we take from here. To strive to work for that goal. And here in this moment, I just want to ask, what message have you been sharing? For what have you been working For whose sake have you been doing it? And the answers to those questions give a clear idea of where we are individually and as a church. It's time to make Christ the most important thing. Lord, here in this moment, I pray that as we share together, as we sing together, as we respond to your invitation, that you, Lord, would guide us by your spirit. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.